Good morning, energy community and LinkedIn community to this week's episode of Coffee with Jim and James. I, I have to tell you, I could barely sleep last night. When I think about Black Hills Energy and the over a million customers served in the States, yeah, that's first and foremost. But all of a sudden, I thought back, James, you're going to like this, back to my heyday, back to the day of traveling I-90 West on my hog, my bike, wind blowing my hair. Well, I used to have hair blowing back on my way to wall drug. I mean, my bike was fearless. Kawasaki 125. Well, I made it to the rally. The bikers thought it'd be a cute wall decoration. I hope that bike's doing well. It was a long Greyhound bus ride home. Anyways, that's a tangent. James, come in, get me off this tangent. Let's get us back on track. My co-host, as always, the yin to my yang, Mr. James Cross. James, how are you today? I'm good. Um, you know, for those that don't know, we're recording on election day. So when this airs, you know, we'll, we'll figure out what this was all for. But we we are um, almost almost giddy and nervous to, to have our guest on today. Uh, Mr. Brian Dressel from Black Hills Energy. Brian, good morning. Good morning. Thanks, guys. That's um, that's quite a buildup. You know, I hate mm. to hate to think about anybody being nervous about talking to me. Yeah. Brian's been a, a long friend of ours uh, in the industry. Um, you know, I I can go back. Uh, my my tenure with EWN isn't as long, but um, I, I by proxy, I feel like I knew Brian before I knew him, before I even met him. But uh, we've we've had a lot of run-ins since then. But uh, uh, we're super excited to have you on board uh, today. And and for those that don't know, Brian's pretty much an expert at these. If we rewind back when Coffee with Jim and James started, Brian would have had more podcasts under his belts than Jim did. So well, that's not, I, I had zero. no pressure, no pressure, Brian, but, uh, we, we expect quite a bit from you. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll try not to disappoint, but thanks for that. <laughs> Well, you know, Brian, let me let me throw in a softball here. And uh, if I can ask a question, really just to give a little bit of your background, because it is an unbelievable background of depth and breadth. Can you just give our audience a little bit about you and who you are and where you come from and what you've experienced? All right. Yeah, Jim, I'm happy to do that. Um, I've been around the gas industry since 1990. So I'm going back to before we even had uh, operator qualification, which seems like a long, long time right now. But uh, I'm currently the uh, technical training and operator qualification manager for Black Hills Energy, and I'm based in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And um, before I came to Black Hills, I spent about 25 years with a gas company in the Kansas City, Missouri area. So a lot of experience in Kansas City. Then I worked for uh, FIMSA, Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration for a few years, which was a wonderful experience. I learned so much more about code and uh, what other operators are doing out there. So it was a great experience. And uh, I ended my time with FIMSA as an instructor in their uh, inspector training and qualification center in Oklahoma City, where I got to train state and federal pipeline safety inspectors. So it was a great experience. That's awesome. Yeah, um, Brian, as you just told us in, the, in that quick history, um, in the industry and just your variety of experience has given, you know, really you a unique perspective when it comes to operator qualification. So when we go back to the origin of the OQ rule and all the way through the current and even looking into the future, what do you see? And can you speak a little bit on that evolution 
and where you feel the biggest opportunities might be moving forward for for our industry's growth in OQ. Sure, James. Um, yeah, and uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but the OQ rule really goes all the way back to 1992 when it was mentioned in the Pipeline Safety Act in uh, 1992. It wasn't fully implemented until 2002. And, you know, a lot of good things I think about OQ, but uh, there was one sort of an unfortunate thing to it is that, you know, as the regulatory uh, agencies started putting more and more emphasis on qualification, some of the operators that were out there with really good training programs, they started to dedicate less and less resources to training as they shifted toward a more of a qualification uh, based program which was somewhat unfortunate because that wasn't the intent of the OQ rule. It was just to add the qualification layer on top of training. So um, operators in recent years, probably in the 2010s, have really uh, figured that out that they needed to dedicate, you know, a balanced amount of resources really to training and qualification. So that's a really good trend in the industry. And, you know, we're, we hope that continues and we're certainly, you know, investing a lot of, uh, resources and training here at Black Hills Energy, which is, uh, you know, greatly improving our programs. We're really happy about that. So, you know, one aspect of OQ also is that, you know, when it first came about, the regulatory folks were pretty, um, were pretty lenient, you know, when it came to OQ violations. And some that's somewhat changing as well, because OQ has been around for nearly 20 years. So, the regulators are more aggressively uh, enforcing OQ violations, which that's not a, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, we need to make sure that we're in compliance with the rule. And uh, another aspect of OQ that's interesting, it was interesting to me is, you know, one of the supervisors that I worked with at FIMSA, he told me that um, it, nearly every incident or accident that you investigate, whether it's a regulatory inspection or an operator conducted inspection, if you dig hard enough and thorough enough, you're going to find uh, some sort of a, either a training or an OQ issue. So that's a really interesting thing. I agree that there's usually some sort of a training and qualification issue in those incidents, but you really have to look for them. So that's a good thing for operators to be looking for as well. And, uh, you know, when we're talking about the current state of OQ, there's really a couple of issues that operators really need to be looking at. One of them is span of control uh, and the other is contractor management. So, you know, span of control was really intended as a training tool. Um, so that's the best way to look at it is as a training tool and contractor management, you know, the days of operators just getting records from their contractors and then filing them away, those days are really gone. Now you, operators need to be more uh, involved in that, you know, and actually audit the contractors and, you know, make sure they're doing what they need to be doing to be in compliance with your OQ plan. So the uh, state of OQ now is much more advanced from what it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So it's a, we're on a good trajectory. Brian, let me, let me, you, you hit a nerve with me when you were talking about the training and the education, the knowledge, skills, ability, all that, not just internal, but external and it also raised a point I was making fun today about my travels across I-90, but I-90, as we know, is a corridor that has very extreme conditions. And extreme conditions for you up there are very different for, you know, right now, and I'm in Southern Florida, we have different conditions. And in our industry known as abnormal operating conditions or AOCs, 
how how big of a, a effect do those have in your daily life as far as training to make sure that the people that are in your systems know what you guys have that's unique to you that may not be the same for us in the Gulf Coast? Yeah, Jim, that's a great question. And, you know, AOCs are really unique to each operator. And that's why we can't have like a list from the industry. I mean, we could have a list, but then operators would need to customize that list to their operations. And, uh, you know, in the training world, the challenge that we have in training and evaluating for AOCs is that they're dangerous. So, you know, it's pretty hard to to evaluate how someone's going to recognize and react to an AOC. And that's what the regulatory requirement is. So, you know, we can't just start a fire next to someone and then evaluate how they react to it because we might hurt that person. So um, there are new technologies out there now, which is um, really awesome. Uh, Virtual reality, augmented reality, things like that. And, um, you know, so there's vendors out there. I know Energy World that's involved in this and GTI um, that are building applications for the industry that, allow operators to really safely create that AOC and then you can determine how the individual recognized and reacted to it and you know a, a really quick little kind of an analogy I like to use when I'm talking about AOCs is you know right now in the industry we use knowledge testing you know pretty much across the board to assess how someone's going to recognize and react to an AOC well if you take a situation that's not a pipeline a- AOC um, it's something that's kind of similar though. Like if, if you gave me a knowledge test and you said, Brian, I'm going to ask you, how are you going to recognize and react to this situation? The, the situation is you're driving your vehicle down the road. You see a snake come out from under the seat of your, your vehicle as you're going 70 miles an hour down the interstate. How are you going to react to that? And my answer is going to be, well, I would apply the brakes slowly, turn on my signal, make my way to the shoulder, put it, put the vehicle in park, turn on my four-way flashers, exit the vehicle safely. Well, that's not what I'm going to do in a real situation at all. I'm going to probably wreck my vehicle. You know, somebody's going to, they're going to need the jaws of life to get me out of my vehicle because I'm probably going to go right off the road because it's going to scare me. So by being able to recreate these AOCs in a, a safe environment, we can, you know, really do a more accurate assessment of, you know, how someone's going to react and or how re- they're going to recognize and react to that AOC and also get them to understand, you know, this is something that could occur by going through that simulation. So the new technology is really helping us a lot in that environment. And Brian, we're, you and I both, um, and Jim, even Jim, uh, to <laughs> to have donned a headset and, you know, experienced that firsthand and, and been a part of this kind of beta portion of it. And there's, there's really nothing like it. Um, you know, that freedom to fail as we talk about you know, which, which sounds like a negative term, but really being able to be in that situation, you know, get your bearings, understand it, you know, feel it. I, I just can't explain to people when you don that headset what it feels like. I mean, it feels like you're there. And, and um, you know, when we think back of watching videos or taking those knowledge assessments, it's, there's no comparison to it. And Brian, you've been behind the curtain a bit on, on this ramping up in our industry you know, what, how do you feel about that? How do you feel VR is going to change at least how AOCs function? Well, I think it's going to really help better prepare the uh, individuals that are performing tasks out there. You know, if you think about it, like if you can create a fire in that virtual reality situation, you know, 
other folks may look at this and say, well, it's not realistic. Well, it feels very realistic because of the immersive nature of the technology. And I mean, if you can have someone where they're actually performing a function and then that fire, you know, breaks out or whatever happens, it's, it's pretty realistic. And then you get to go through the same adrenaline rush and everything as the person responding to it as you would if it was happening in real life, only there's no danger. So I think it's going to really better prepare our workers in the industry for the challenges they face from AOCs. It's really an equalizer. I've, I've put it on, I put the headset on, you know, we've been at shows or whatever and had it out and, uh, you know, had people come up and say, ah, oh, I never did that. It's just video game stuff, you know, or my, my grandson has one of those or whatever that, you know, comment might be. But I, I, I tell them, I just give it one second, just put that headset on, look around and I tell you, it'll change your mind. And it, it's funny how quickly it really does. It, it levels that playing field when it comes to uh, that experience. But Brian, you guys are doing innovative things. There's no question. I've got one more question for you. Very important question. Most important question of the day. No doubt about it. So hopefully you studied for this one. Brian, do you love what you do? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. Well, that might be the shortest answer. I just knew he was going to go <laughs> off down down a path for us, but he's so succinct. <laughs> there's there's no question. And what you've already done for the industry, you know, being a recovery uh, a recovering as Steve Allen always says, a recovering regula uh, regulator. Very yep. important for us to be able to see see what you're doing and doing the great things you're doing out there. We appreciate you. Uh, keep keep doing those. We're thankful you were on the show today. Uh, any parting thoughts? Um, well, I just you know, something occurred to me when we were talking about virtual reality is we did a demonstration, uh, and it was where we went up in a, a lift, you know, and it's a virtual reality simulation. Our feet are on the ground. We went up in this lift and uh, had some individuals who were afraid of heights, and you could actually see their their knees start to shake because mm -hmm. of the you know, realism of it. So, you know, that tells you how realistic that is. So, um, no, I think that our, you know, a lot of great things happen in our industry right now and um, I'm excited to be a part of it and Amen. appreciate the opportunity to visit with you guys today. It's absolutely our pleasure. If, if we don't have anything more, James, I can wrap us up and uh, yep. send us on the road so we can uh, get on with the great day. Brian, thank you on behalf of James and I for joining us today. Again, long time alliances, friends. Um, we appreciate you. We appreciate everything that you're doing in the industry. I would absolutely encourage our audience to definitely connect with Brian, follow Black Hills Energy, see all the good things that they're doing. They want the best for our industry, our people. And first and foremost, I'll, I'll put these words, I, I'll, I'll probably, you know, put them in Brian's mouth, but safety first. Let's do everything safe. That's you know, that's a cornerstone, the keystone to everything. So again, please connect with Brian, follow Black Hills Energy. We hope that you all stay safe. Have a great day. God bless you. God bless our industry. And then till next time on Coffee with Jim and James, have a great week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.